On today's Film & Whiskey, we continue our Top 5 series with our Top 5 Favorite Western Films. And while we do that, we try two flights of whiskeys from distilleries in Colorado. So join us as we sample whiskeys from Old Elk Distillery and Law's Whiskey House. That's all ahead on Film & Whiskey. Hey everybody, welcome into the podcast. We are back with another special bonus episode. Bonus episode! Today we are continuing our top five series. Brad, we had a very long drought in this series, and now we've I think we've put out three uh, in the last month or two here. Well, tonight we are not going to have a drought. Bob, we are drinking enough whiskey to kill a horse. Yeah, Brad. So so the theme of our top fives today is top five westerns, which is kind of a big topic. I feel like our top fives have been really specific up until now. But the reason that we wanted to do a top five on westerns is because we are drinking whiskeys that come from the American West. We're going to be trying four whiskeys from the Laws Whiskey Company in Colorado and also four whiskeys from the Old Elk Company in Colorado. So, Brad, maybe we should have just done top five movies about the Rocky Mountains (laughs) and smoking weed. I don't know. Yeah, switching from our top five Texas movies to top five Colorado movies. Absolutely. So, no, we're going to narrow in on our top five westerns today. And Brad, I have a feeling that you're going to have a really great list because as I remember coming into this podcast, when we first started, you basically told me that you'd seen some classic movies, but when it came to older films, the only ones you'd really remembered was watching a lot of Westerns with your dad growing up. Yeah, I I really did. And yet, Bob, I will say that my number one movie is actually a movie that I first saw for this podcast. Oh, wow. All right. I'm I'm excited to get into it, Brad. And we do have tons of whiskey to drink today. So I think we should just jump right into our top five Westerns. This was a hard list to make for me, Brad, because I didn't just want to do like, you know, the top five greatest ones I'd ever seen, because I feel like everyone knows that top tier of Western films. So I'm going to try to get a little bit creative with my picks today. And so I'm going to start with a movie that I think is really good, probably not one of the five best that I've ever seen, but that would be the 1962 anthology movie, How the West Was Won. This was a really cool movie to watch. They used a really experimental filming technique called Cinerama, where they actually filmed it with three side-by-side cameras and then stitched them all together to create this super widescreen format. This was back in the 50s when they were trying all sorts of experimental things. And the Cinerama screens actually curved around the audience. So when you watch it today, it's kind of weird because everything looks kind of distorted because it was filmed for this very specific format. It's a really cool movie. It it follows, you know, the life of a family over, I don't know, 50 or 60 years. There's like three main chapters to this story. And it's just it's a good old fashioned American Western. And I thought it was worth including in my top five because it's not one a lot of people talk about. So I'm going to start my list with how the West was won. Well, and and that's a great choice, Bob. I I think for me, I'm going to start in a very different place. And yet. I think it's a perfect place to start when talking about Westerns. My number five favorite Western is Blazing Saddles. Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Because there's just not many comedies out there better than Blazing Saddles. I think it might be Mel Brooks' best. Uh, I would put it up there with Young Frankenstein. But man, oh man, Blazing Saddles is a spoof of all of the old Westerns that, uh, not even old Westerns, the Westerns that were being made at the time in 1974. 
I just think that this movie gives you everything you need to understand Western movies. Mm. And and in a lot of different ways, it, parodies often can kind of point us in the right direction to understand uh, a subject. So if you want to understand Westerns better, I think that when you look at the nuances that Blazing Saddles pulls out, you're really able to kind of pick up on why Mel Brooks was able to just make fun of these movies. And it's spectacular. I love Westerns to death, so but I'm also okay with them being made fun of. Hell, I was born here, and I was raised here, and that government, I'm going to die here. And no sidewinding, bushwhacking, horn-swoggling, crocker-crocker is going to roll away Christmas cutter. Now, who can argue with that? Robert! I think we're all indebted to Gabby Johnson for clearly stating what needed to be said. Brad, it's so funny that you talk about this movie right now. I was just thinking today about Mel Brooks, and, you know, he's he's definitely getting older now, and his best friend Carl Reiner just passed away. And I've been thinking about how Mel Brooks's comedy movies are going to look, you know, 20 years from now. They've always been controversial. He's always thrived on this idea that you can make fun of anything and that you should make fun of anything. And I think now we're starting to see pushback on ideas like that. Now, there was actually a really great movie that came out a couple of years ago, a documentary that I think was called The Last Laugh. And it was about this concept of Mel Brooks making fun of things like Nazism as a Jewish person and, and how that's gone out of fashion. And Blazing Saddles is, I think, one of those really great historical documents of this is what was this is what comedy was in the 1970s. This is the risks they were taking with comedy in the 1970s. And I'm be, I'll be really interested to see moving forward as we start to get older, Brad, how movies like that are held up. Are they going to become victims of a cancel culture? Are they going to fall out of fashion with the masses? Or are we going to continue to champion the comedy of people like Mel Brooks? I think it's a great choice, Brad. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I really do struggle with with the current culture a little bit because I think that there is value in a Mel Brooksian type of humor. And there there is always and should be the struggle with how far is too far mm-hmm. when you're making fun of such very serious subjects. But on, on a certain level, man, if we can't laugh at ourselves and our problems and, and the, the things that we do, then I, I, I think we're missing out on something. So let's move into our number four picks. I am going to choose one that is one of my favorite John Wayne movies. I don't think we can get too far in this episode without talking about John Wayne. Brad, I know that you are a much bigger fan of John Wayne in general than I am. Uh, But I think one of my favorite John Wayne movies is 1948's Fort Apache. This is a movie where John Wayne obviously plays the hero, but he is joined by Henry Fonda, one of my favorite actors of all time, a guy that we've had on this podcast before with 12 Angry Men. And Fonda plays essentially the villain. And I I always love that Henry Fonda, being such a huge, huge megastar in Hollywood, was not afraid to take on roles where he was the smarmy, villainous guy. And it, it kind of reminds me a little bit, Brad, of a movie we just did a few weeks ago on this podcast, The Departed. And we talked about how Matt Damon has never been afraid to play the villain if he needs to, to play the sneaky guy, to be the guy that you dislike as an audience member. And at that time, I wondered out loud if that's ended up affecting his career, because you never see, for the most part, a guy like DiCaprio take on roles like that, except for like in Django Unchained, you know, 
And and Henry Fonda, I think, is in that same vein that he leans right into it. And having those two huge personalities on the screen, coupled with John Ford's direction, the action sequences in that movie are just incredible. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Brad, but I think Fort Apache absolutely deserves to be on a top five list of American Westerns. I actually have not seen Fort Apache and and I partially don't feel bad because I think John Wayne was in like 130 or 40 films. <laughs> right, right. So like I've probably seen like 10 to 20 percent of his filmography and I don't feel bad about that at all. <laughs> but I yeah, I haven't seen Fort Apache and I'm pretty intrigued to see it. I, I might have to put it on my list, Bob. All right, Brad, why don't you hit me with your number four pick? Well, for my number four I believe three and two, I'm going to be going to some John Wayne films. Mm. And for number four, I'm going to go back to season, I believe, one or maybe two of our podcast and call out Stagecoach. Yeah, man. It's a great choice. I just loved Stagecoach. It's a movie that I saw as a kid. I didn't remember it super duper well. And coming into watching it for the podcast, I was just really blown away. Um, there, There's a lot of slow parts at the start that you kind of have to just bear with a little bit to get to know the characters and fall in love with, you know, who they are and where they're going. And it really pays off with the giant set piece at the end of the film that just is spectacular. Mm-hmm. You know, F- Ford was doing just such amazing things in 1939. And I I just love that movie. I think it's almost worth the price of admission just for that one iconic shot introducing the world or reintroducing the world to John Wayne when you first see the Ringo kid and the camera just dollies in pushing into his face. It's such a great shot in Western cinema history. Yeah, Brad, I cannot argue with you having stagecoach in your top five. But just like John Wayne, I think it's about time we get into some of this whiskey, Bob. Yeah, Brad, what do you say we go through this line of old elk? All right, so for this old elk section, Bob and I are just going to do a shot of each of them one after another <laughs> and then and then just give our fire from the hip impressions of each one. Yeah, we're just going to shout out like generic western sounding cowboy things. So like it, you know, if we don't like it it's going to be like a shoot dang and then if we do like it it's either going to be a hooey or a yeehaw. Yeehaw. Hooey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brad. So, let's get into this old elk. Now, Old Elk is based in Colorado, but some of their product is distilled in Indiana, which means it is a sourced product. We have nothing against sourced whiskeys at this podcast. A lot of what we drink is sourced from MGP and other places like it. Uh, But we have four Old Elk whiskeys in front of us today. And Brad, I want to start with this straight wheat whiskey. Now, we have become pretty accustomed to drinking straight whiskey lately. The funny thing is, I feel like even, oh, say two years ago or like when we first started this podcast, You didn't see a lot of wheat whiskeys on the market, and I think a lot of smaller craft distillers are really starting to hang their hat on making wheat whiskeys now. Uh, And and I think it's a welcome addition, Brad. It brings a completely different flavor profile to the table, and I'm excited to try this one. Yeah, wheat whiskeys are just fascinating for me. Like you said, Bob, it's not something you saw as often. And yet the more I try them, the more I am just just really falling in love with the style of whiskey that we're getting here. Now, I do want to make a note that because we have so many whiskeys and we do try to keep our bonus episodes a little shorter, we are not going to go super in-depth on things like Mash Bill uh, or where this is being sourced from in particular. If you'd like more information, you are welcome to, to do a Google search on Old Elk. Check out their website. They are pretty transparent with what they're offering. Brad, on this wheat whiskey, I will say, um, I think this one is less wheat dominant than others that we've had. 
Like on some of the wheat whiskeys we've had, that graininess has produced an almost cola-like note. I think we've talked about Coca-Cola on a couple wheat whiskeys now, uh, especially that old Dominic wheat whiskey a few weeks ago. I think this is uh, this is less weedy than I anticipated, almost almost in between wheat and bourbon for me. Yeah, it, it has a really nice soft wheat flavor to it that's not going to overpower you. Uh, this is a really sippable, just easy drinker that I, I really enjoyed, Bob. Yeah, I thought it was actually a little bit more alcohol forward on the taste than I would have liked. It's pleasantly pretty sweet. Uh, and then on the finish, Brad, I got a really interesting note, which was like coffee. And I don't want to call it like really dark espresso type coffee, but it was coffee. And then almost this is going to sound bad, but it didn't taste bad. Almost like an artificial sweetener coffee with like cream and sweet and low for me is, is kind of what it tasted like. I got this really interesting final note right there on the finish of that. I do think this is a pretty delicious whiskey. But I don't think it really has any distinct notes on it. It's not heavily weedy. It's not super alcohol forward. They're just, you know, it, it, it checks a lot of boxes in a very pleasant way. But I wouldn't say that any note really jumps out at me as being, you know, knock your socks off good. Yeah, I, I'm kind of right there with you, Bob. And I'm excited to try their weeded bourbon next. Yeah, Brian, this weeded bourbon, I think, is really interesting because the nose is completely different than the wheat whiskey was. I actually get a note of cotton candy on this. It's like spun sugar, really, really sweet, almost candy sweet for me. I think it's really, really pleasant. Oh, wow, Bob. That is really nice. I I agree with you. It's got that kind of nice, like blue cotton candy kind of taste to it. But it's still, you can still get that little bit of weediness to it mm -hmm. that helps soften it some, that it, it, it keeps it from being too sharp. I, I really it, like this stuff, Bob. I think it's funny that you use the word soft because that's actually the note uh, the the note that I took down as well. This is the softer of the two whiskeys that we've had so far. Very pleasant, very sippable. I think it does turn the sweetness up quite a bit over uh, the straight wheat whiskey. And that might have something to do with the mash bill here and because it's a weeded bourbon. And Brad, now we're going to move into their their blended straight bourbon whiskey. So we're we're kind of cutting down on the wheat a little bit and we're going right into the bourbon. The funny thing here is that the nose on this, again, is completely different. I think this is a much spicier nose, and I get it on the taste as well. There's some there's some baking spice here, but it's almost Christmassy. That's the note that I took down here. It's a very Christmassy flavor. I get a lot of nutmeg. I actually get a little bit of leather on this one as well. A completely different flavor for profile, completely different nose than the weeded bourbon was. Yeah, and I was just looking at this. It is a lower proof. Mm -hmm. It's only an 88 proof from our 100 proof. And you could tell it's a little less viscous, but there's a lot of flavor packed in here. Like you said, Bob, there, there's almost like a little bit of cardamom kind of baking spice type stuff going on. It's an impressive whiskey. Th this one might challenge you a little more. It's a bit more complex mm -hmm. and I'm I'm enjoying it. I am too. This is the first one that I would say really fits with our theme of like Westerns. I really get a lot. I, I keep coming back to this leather note in this. And it's I think it's actually going to be really good to continue sipping on these samples we got, Brad, uh, through the Christmas season, because this just has a very wintry kind of vibe going on for it. And I really like I, it. I'm surprised I didn't get a nice little suey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have one more from Old Elk to try before we get back into our top five. So, Brad, we have the Old Elk Straight Rye Whiskey here. 
I, I have to be honest and say of the four, this one is the one that is the most harsh for me on the nose. That doesn't mean that it's an overly harsh whiskey, just compared to the other three where we were taking down notes of how soft they were on the palate. This one kind of jumps out a little bit. It's a little more prickly, I guess I'll say. It doesn't really have a moonshiny note, but um, it just kind of tastes more like a classic rye whiskey to me. Yeah, as I as I nose this, it smells like rye. As I taste it, it's it tastes like rye. This is probably their most like honest whiskey, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, it has a really beautiful rye flavor. It's not going to overpower you. It's not going to overwhelm you. It, it, you know, it's not the best rye that I've ever had, but it's definitely along the same lines as the rest of their products, which is really, really solid. I, I don't know if any of these blew me out of the water. That blended bourbon was was very interesting. Agreed. But Bob, Old Elk is onto something here. I am really impressed with what they're putting out there in Colorado. Yeah, I am as well, Brad. I, I do think this rye is definitely like a no frills rye is what I, I guess I would call it. It leans more to the minty side of things. I was impressed, Brad, that each of these four expressions was different than the last. It wasn't just more of the same and blending them together. I really liked how each stood on its own legs. I'm really excited because we are actually going to have Old Elk on the podcast again in a couple months here. We're thinking about doing an interview with them. So if you'd like to hear more about Old Elk, tune into the podcast. Uh, we are going to be doing a My Favorite Movie episode with them. And Brad, I think we can carry some positive energy back into our top fives. Yeah, and as we get into our third, I, I'm just going to throw this in there, Bob, because I love this movie and I think we should do it sometime. Honestly, I think my favorite John Wayne film isn't a Western. It's The Quiet Man. Oh, I love that movie, dude. We w- we'll get around to that one have for you, sure. Have you ever seen The Quiet Man? Oh, Bob? absolutely. One of the most visually beautiful movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I Bob, I, I just have to comment on it. It's Maureen O'Hara. It's John Wayne. It's a spectacular film. I know it doesn't fit in with the Western category. But the reason I brought it up is because my number three film is also starring John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. It's McClintock. Oh, nice. Now, Bob, McClintock. Not just McClintock, but McClintock with an exclamation point on the end, right? McClintock. McClintock. (laughs) You got to say it like that. It's McClintock. (laughs) And it's just perfect because everybody is yelling his name throughout (laughs) the entire movie. And like, I I don't know, it just feels like what the Wild West was all about. Uh, It's just wild. It's crazy. So many different things are happening. You have so many different characters coming in and out of the story is it's just a classic. I, I, I just really, really love this movie. It's probably the Western I saw most often as a child. That's that's a super interesting pick, Brad. I know that I've seen this movie before. I can't remember much from it. It's definitely one of those ones that was in circulation on AMC on like a Saturday afternoon. Oh, all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's for me. It's like it's another John Wayne movie. I'll probably have to go back and revisit it. It sounds like a great time for my number three film. I went with a movie that was a remake of a very popular John Wayne film. And I think maybe Brad's favorite John Wayne film I went with the Coen Brothers 2010 remake of True Grit. Now, Brad and I have kind of gone a little bit back and forth on our our preferences for which of the two is better. I really like this modern updated version. I think that the Coen Brothers infused a little bit of their kind of darkness, and I don't want to say their nihilism, 
but their their cynicism, I'll say, into this one. I loved the female narrator. I thought that uh, Haley Steinfeld was fantastic in this movie. Jeff Bridges was great. Matt Damon was great. The whole cast is fantastic, top to bottom. Why have you been ineffectually pursuing Janie? He shot and killed a state senator named Bibbs in Waco, Texas. Bibbs' family put out a reward. Well, how came Cheney to shoot a state senator? My understanding is there was an argument about a dog. You know anything about the whereabouts of Cheney? Well, he's in the territory, and I hold out little hope for you winning your bounty. Why is that? My men will beat you to it. I fired a deputy marshal, the toughest one they have. Annie's familiar with the Lucky Net Pepper Gang they say Cheney's tied up with. Well, I will throw in with you and your marshal. No. Marshal Cogburn and I are fine. It'll be to our mutual advantage. Your marshal, I presume, knows the territory. I know Cheney. It is at least a two-man job taking him alive. When Cheney is taken, he's coming back to Fort Smith to hang. I'm not having him go to Texas to hang for shooting some senator. It is not important where he hangs, is it? It is to me. I love the way they end the film on such a really light note of the adult Maddie just saying, you know, sometimes time gets away from us. And that's that's like the last thing in the film that's said. I think it's a beautiful movie. And Brad, it kind of is occupying the spot of modern Westerns in my list. So just be grateful, even if you don't like this one too much, that I did not put the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford in this spot. I'm very glad that you did not put that movie in there. <laughs> and, and Bob, I will say, I genuinely liked the new True Grit. I just don't think you can beat the classic. Mm, I get that. And, and, and which is which is fine. I, like you said, I think that everybody does a great job in that film. I think the Coen brothers really did a good job of readapting it for modern times. But for me, my number two film, True Grit from 1969. Yep. yep. I figured it, it's my favorite John Wayne movie, man. I, he's just on top of his game. He's at the peak of his career. And I, it seems to be a theme that I keep movies in the same spot in multiple different top fives. In our last one for top five set in Texas, True Grit was my number two movie. And I'm keeping it there for this. It's really one of my favorite Westerns of all time. And so it's just easy for me to throw it in here. Yeah, I totally get that, Brad. Which I'm a little concerned now that your number one Western of all time is going to be Secondhand Lions. Because we know you I mean, keep that number one spot open for Secondhand <laughs> Lions in every category. It, the movie is set in the West, <laughs> and yeah. it, it it does have lots of themes pertaining to you oh, know, right, Western right, films. Right. So my number two movie, Brad, I actually, I really wanted to put The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly here because I think it might be the greatest Western ever made. We're going to be reviewing that movie, I think, in season four. So I didn't want to just overload this list with movies we're going to do on the podcast. And the last couple days, I have had a little bit of downtime, and I've been able to watch some movies, and I decided to focus on movies I'd never seen before. And I have never seen the other two movies in that Man With No Name trilogy from Clint Eastwood. I had never seen A Fistful of Dollars or For A Few Dollars More. And after finishing them both, I decided to put as my number two the second film in that franchise, For A Few Dollars More. This movie blew me away. It's not as good as, as The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but it's definitely occupying that spot on my list here of the Spaghetti Western. And, I mean, Clint Eastwood's great in it. I think Lee Van Cleef in this movie is fantastic. This movie was incredibly suspenseful. It was a huge step up for me uh, from A Fistful of Dollars. You could tell that it had a bigger budget, that Sergio Leone was doing something more cinematic here. The cinematography is incredible. The score's great. Everything about this movie 
really knocked my socks off. I would at least give it a nine out of 10, I think. And if you haven't seen the other movies in that trilogy, if you were like me and have only seen The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, I would highly recommend for a few dollars more. Bob, I will not lie. I think Clint Eastwood is probably the biggest gap in my Western's knowledge. Mm, yeah. Like, I, like I've seen Dirty Harry, which, you know, obviously isn't a Western. But outside of that, I have not seen tons of older Clint Eastwood. You know, I've seen some of his newer films. Sure. And so I, I really need to go back and watch through a lot of his spaghetti westerns because they occupy such a classic spot in older Hollywood that I, I just haven't seen. Yeah. Well, I can tell you for a fact that we're going to remedy at least one third of that <laughs> next season, Brad. So so hang tight for that. But before we reveal our number one picks, Brad, let's walk through this line of Law's Whiskey. So the next four whiskeys that we're going to be drinking are coming out of Law's Whiskey House in Denver, Colorado. And Law's is a really cool company that is highly focused on using all of their grains from Colorado. On the box that they sent us, they literally have a map of like central Colorado on the side of the box and they list out, it's like color coded where they get all of their different grains from. And so it's it's another example of these newer craft distilleries that are all about transparency mm -hmm. and letting the customer know where they're getting their stuff. So Bob, I'm really excited to get into these. Yeah, Brad, I have to say, you know, I've tasted through all four of these now. I'm happy to share my notes as we go here. I was a little concerned because I hadn't heard of this company until their PR firm reached out to us last year about participating in a virtual tasting, and which we did. And, and I had a great time. And then after that, I said, hey, we'd love to have some more of your products on the website. I had just never heard of them before. And so when they sent them to us, I mean, the presentation's beautiful. The bottles are beautiful. I was just really worried that because they were such a small distillery, that it might be kind of some of that younger stuff that we don't tend to like. But I have to say, just as a spoiler alert, I I am into everything that they put in this box, Brad. So why don't we start walking through it? Where would you like to start, Brad? Let's just start with the basics, man. How about their four grain straight bourbon whiskey? Yeah, I think it's a great place to start, Brad. And if I'm going to be honest, this one probably was the one that I liked the least out of the box. And that's not to say that it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. But this was the one that when I pulled it out, I said, okay, this, this has some of those characteristics that we get from small craft distillers. It smells very young, very yeasty to me. Actually, the, the note that I got, Brad, I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those like uh, bread starters that's for, uh, what do they call it? Friendship bread? Like yeah. it, it comes in a Ziploc bag. It's very sweet. It's almost like monkey bread sweetness, but you get the starter. And so it's, it's, you know, it has that sour strain in it. That's the note that I predominantly get on the nose and on the taste here. It's, it's very yeasty. It's very young kind of, you know, corn forward with some of that sweetness. It's like a nice sour dough <laughs> with some sugar in it for me. Yeah, the, you definitely get a little bit of that raw sugar feel from this that you tend to notice in unrefined whiskeys that just need a little more time to age. But overall, it's not an unpleasant note. A and as you get into the actual palate, it is a smooth average bourbon yeah like, i mean like, like, I, like definitely drinkable i really like i mean i enjoy it i just don't think that like i have a ton of notes coming out of this one you know yeah it's got a little bit of like a sweet cola kind of flavor but but very nondescript 
Yeah, and Brad, if you'll if you'll let me kind of hijack our tasting, our flight here, I'm going to direct us from this to the rye, because if there is another one in this box that has some of those younger grain notes on it, it's the rye. And on the nose especially, this is really rye heavy, and I do get a little bit of a whiff of malt. I don't know what the mash bill is here, uh, but it kind of reminds me of that Chattanooga 99 that we had a couple episodes ago, where they were using a lot of malted rye as well. I get a bit of sweet apple... I get a bit of orange on the on the taste and you get a like a pop of that alcohol. It's very I guess the word that I would use is just kind of a tingle from the alcohol on the tongue. There's some spice here. There's a really nice oak finish. I think that this rye as opposed to the old elk rye has a lot more herbal qualities to it, but I actually really like this. I think it's a very well done rye even if the grains in this might still be just a little bit younger than we normally would like. Yeah, and all of these whiskeys are sitting just a tad under 100 proof. And so there's a nice, pleasant burn to it that's not overpowering. And Bob, everything you said about the flavor is right. There's a little bit of spiciness, kind of anise. There's a little bit of zest to it. Mm -hmm. This is an impressive little ride that they've got going on here at Law's House. I think the anise note is really, really well done, Brad. Like I I didn't pick it up at first where I I was kind of wondering... What is that? But you're right. There's a bit of a licorice flavor to this. Uh, and I think that might have been that herbal quality that I was getting. It is really well done. And so, Brad, I want to take your palate on a journey now. I want you to try this Law's Malt, because as I sipped my way through this sampler, this was the standout for me. And, you know, we don't get a lot of American malt whiskeys on this podcast. And, and I'm really grateful when we do, because we get to actually compare it to something like a single pot still Irish whiskey or a scotch. There's a there's just a different quality when we have American malt whiskey. This one for me was really interesting, Brad, because on the nose, I thought it smelled more like oats than it did like malt. It really yes. just reminded me of like when you crack open like some steel cut oats. Uh, it's a much softer kind of pal- or nose than I was expecting. It doesn't smell scotchy. It doesn't smell like Irish whiskey at all. And the very last thing I got on the nose before I took a sip was it kind of smells like chocolate shavings. I don't know if you've ever had to like do a double boiler and melt chocolate, but it reminds me of like when you kind of have to shave chocolate onto something. It has that waxy, semi-sweet chocolate, just a touch of it on the nose for me. Yeah, Bob, I for me, when I took a whiff of that, it literally smelled like I just opened up a fresh... I don't even know what you would call it. Cylinder of Quaker oats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it literally smelled like I had just opened one of those bad boys up and was like getting ready to make some oatmeal. Yeah. Because it is extremely oaty. But you're right. As you get into the actual drink, it's nice and savory. There's a little bit of a dark chocolate taste to it. Yep. But it still stays decently oaty throughout the experience. I, I think I'm a little. I think I'm a little less high on this as you are, Bob. Oh, no. I was so hoping you'd love this. Yeah, it's it's really good. And I will say it is very unique. But from from what I've had of other malt whiskeys from America, I, I think that it just needs a little more aging. Oh, see, Brad, I totally disagree. And, and I actually disagree almost fully with your tasting notes, too, because I didn't get the savory on this at all. I got oatmeal cookie with chocolate chips in it. Like fresh baked, warm, melty, semi-sweet chocolate on this. I thought this was like a chocolate chip bomb. I absolutely loved this whiskey. I mean, guys, if if an oatmeal cookie with chocolate chips in it sounds in any way appealing to you, 
I would recommend this whiskey above everything else in this Lost Flight. Brad, this is one of the better, for me, one of the better craft whiskeys I've had on this podcast this season. I would heartily recommend the malt whiskey. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's solid, but I, I just don't think it's quite that good. All right. Well, we're split and you have ruined our friendship yet again. So I'm not surprised that the, <laughs> the, the, the thing that surprises me the most is that we're still doing this podcast. I understand that. Brad, we have one more Laws whiskey to try here, and that is the Laws wheat whiskey. I love that we got a rye, a bourbon, a malt and a wheat here. The variety is great. This one, again, not super weedy on the nose. This is something that we, we said with the old elk as well. For me, if the last one was oatmeal cookie, this one kind of smells like waffle batter to me. Like I don't know if you've ever if you've ever made waffles in a waffle iron and you just kind of dump the the batter into it. I think it's really good. I think it it tastes good. It tastes fine for me. There's a little bit of chocolate still that I'm picking up and I don't know if that's just left over from that blast of chocolate I got on the malt. Uh but to me this is like a chocolate chip waffle. See, the problem for me is I, I pretty much always make my pancakes and waffles with a bunch of vanilla and cinnamon in mm, them. Yeah. So I for me, when I think about waffles, I think about cinnamon. Right. Yeah. And this would just so, be like like naked waffle batter, just, <laughs> just the batter and then some is chocolate. That, is that like your your health food product line? Naked. <laughs> naked. Naked, naked batter. waffle batter. <laughs> and it's and it's just a picture I feel of like, you. I feel like if I was going to be marketing batter, calling it naked really would turn people off from that. I don't know, would man. Would you like a some picture, naked batter? No, thank you. A picture of you in the nude holding mm-hmm. batter in front of you would just sell yeah. instantly. Yeah, absolutely. But when I get to this whiskey, I, I think that. Once again, Bob, I, I feel like all four of their whiskeys smell a little bit young for me. And this one kind of has that, I don't know, it's almost like a corn, wheat, kind of that sweeter grain type of smell. And I'm not getting really many notes beyond that. Hmm. Well, Brad, I guess I have to ask you then, of the of the two flights that we had today, for me, when I took my notes, I would say that I think that the Old Elk is probably the more consistent batch. Like, I would give all of those like a 7 out of 10 across the board. But for me, the Laws... The Laws whiskeys were the ones that seemed to be experimenting more, that seemed to be a little bit more innovative, that really went all in on their flavors. And so I actually preferred the Laws flight if I had to choose one. And that's not to say that all of them were better than all of the old Elks, but I like that they were really kind of swinging for the fences on all four of them for me. No, I'm actually right there with you, Bob. I think that if there is one company that has a really high room for growth and and just potential for some amazing things to come out of it, it's definitely Law's House. That you can tell that they're pushing the envelope and hopefully as they begin to make money from their two-year batches, they'll be willing to sit back for another two, four, six years and make some just some longer age statements. Sure. Well, Brad, I am... I'm incredibly grateful to both of these companies, Laws Whiskey House and Old Elk, for sending these flights. I'm excited to see what continues to come out from them. But we have a task ahead of us, sir. We have to reveal our number one picks for our top five Westerns. Well, when it comes down to the top Western for me, Bob, I actually picked a movie that I did not see in my childhood. It's one that we watched for this podcast. I am talking about Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained. <laughs> oh, nice, dude. Bob, this this film just delves so deeply into the problems of racism, 
of slavery, of how there's just so many issues. (laughs) There's just so many issues, Bob, just massive amounts of problems in the West. And Django Unchained unflinchingly deals with them. Tell me, if you were to see any of these three gentlemen again, would you recognize them? Hey, stop talking to him like that. Like what? Like that. My good man, I'm simply trying to ascertain... Speak English, damn it. Everybody calm down. I'm simply a customer trying to conduct a transaction. I don't care. No sale. Now off with you. Don't be ridiculous. Of course they're for sale. Move it. My good man, did you simply get carried away with your dramatic gesture, or are you pointing your weapon at me with lethal intention? Last chance, fancy pants. The only part of the movie that I kind of dislike is when Quentin Tarantino is in it. And outside (laughs) of that one little scene, this movie just flows perfectly. And and I can't, I really don't think I could put any Western on top of it for for me. Yeah, Brad, I am really glad that, uh, that you caught the love for this movie because it is probably my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. I've said it before on the podcast that if I had to pick one movie to represent Tarantino as a director, it would be this one. I think this is his most kind of restrained, mature filmmaking. I think the story just works. I love that it's actually chronologically told for a change. I think this really is his unsung masterpiece. And Brad, I am so happy to see it here on your list. For my number one movie, Brad, I just had to go with with an absolute classic. If you if you sat me down and asked me what the best Western ever made was, it would come down to either The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly or this movie. And since we've already taken care of our spaghetti Western, I chose High Noon from 1952. This movie is fantastic. I've, you know, I've heard people that say they just never really could get into it. I love everything about this film. You know, Gary Cooper, the star of the movie, was very famously injured for part of the movie. And so you could see the kind of pained expression on his face throughout the film. I think it works really, really well for the performance that he needs to give. This is a movie that's told basically in real time. A guy finds out that somebody from his past is coming in on the train to kill him. He's the sheriff of a small town. He has to go around town and try to round up people to help him take a stand against this intruder. And no one's willing to help him. And he has to ultimately face this guy alone. It is a absolutely suspenseful, scathing movie. I cannot wait until we get around to doing it on the podcast, Brad. But for me, it was a no-brainer. I don't know if there's ever been a better Western made than 1952's High Noon. Yeah, High Noon is such an obvious choice for the top spot. Cooper just shines in this film. And I, Bob, I'm right there with you. I can't wait to go further in depth to this movie at some point in the podcast. So you've seen it before? I have seen it, oh, yes. Oh, man, that, this is... Yeah. This is... Yeah, dude, it is a spectacular movie. And if you haven't seen High Noon, please go out and watch it. It has so many just great scenes, great lines. It's a great film. Well, Brad, thank you for for getting into this exercise with me again today. We want to give once again our thanks to Law's Whiskey House and Old Elk for providing our whiskeys for the day. Guys, we are so thankful that you joined us for this bonus episode. Next week, we'll be back talking about 2010 Aaron Sorkin's The Social Network. And for the Film and Whiskey Podcast, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time.